Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had so many questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and all the other places people like to listen? And how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free. You heard me. Free. And it is ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid to podcast. So, if you have always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm forward slash start and join me. Join me and join the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That is anchor.fm forward slash start. I cannot wait to hear your podcast. My clinical supervisor said to me early on, he said, Chris, people get into this field for one of two reasons. And one is, is because they feel an intense desire to help people, you know, that they feel like they can take on people's struggles and worries and point them in the right direction, kind of a savior complex. That's the exact word that just came into my mind. <laughs> I was like, that's like coming at from a very like, watch me be a hero place. Right. So that's one side. And the other side, which, you know, I don't know that one is better than the other necessarily, but the other side is where I come from, which is that I I have a genuine interest in like how people tick, including myself. Welcome to the Sheck Check Podcast, a fact check on mental health, and it all starts with you. Now your host, Ariz Sheck. Hey, 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 and welcome to episode five of the Sheck Check Podcast. This week I spoke with Chris Morandi, a licensed professional mental health counselor, the voice of Old Cove Road Podcast, and not gonna lie, just a pretty awesome human being. Check it out. Let's get started. So what would you say drew you to becoming a therapist or working in mental health? It's a big question. <laughs> so I actually started in middle school, like ending middle school, going into high school. They made me pick a track to study in high school. And because I was good with um, science and math, they kind of pushed me into engineering track. So I started college actually as an engineering major. And I remember very specifically walking into a computer lab my freshman year with like a million people staring at computers. And I was like, oh, no, uh, I'm not going to be able to do this not so uh, much yeah no I, the thought of you know staring at a computer for my career just seemed i don't know bad it sounds yeah. daunting to me yeah. like i feel like i'd see it and i just feel like well i know i would be a part of something in a sense it's also this machine i'm using a machine but i become a machine that's doing the same thing over and over again yeah that's exactly right and it's funny that you said that because that was exactly my perception in engineering in any math and science field there's always one right answer and you're working towards getting to this one right answer and it's either right or it's wrong and i my i don't know if my brain doesn't work that way or whatever but i like the idea of having you know, multiple right answers and multiple ways of doing things. I think I've always been kind of that way. So when I realized I didn't want to do engineering anymore, my fascination for how things worked kind of went to human beings. You know, Psychology 101 sparked it maybe, but it's always kind of been there. In my personal life, I've always been kind of an overthinker, anxious, those kind of things. 
And so psychology as a major was kind of a win-win, right? So I can learn more about myself and I could learn more about how other people function and so I can interact with people better, basically. So I, I went to school for psychology and uh, finished my undergrad and then went to grad school and became a counselor. What really stood out was the overthinking part. Like that's something that we usually are, see within ourselves as a weakness. Like yes. because it, it can bring on like anxiety, it can bring on other things for us. But you actually took that overthinking and you used it for good as a profession yeah yeah yeah. maybe it's dumb luck i'm not sure but it really it really does serve me well and you know when you know overthinking seems to happen the most when you don't have stuff in front of you to distract you right so most people with anxiety have trouble falling asleep because you take away all the distraction and that's when their mind really starts going with the overthinking stuff and i think having a good understanding of different ways of looking at things because i have spent lots of time looking at things from every different possible angle. I think that really helps with, with the folks I work with, you know, kind of understanding where they're coming from and, and seeing their line of thought. So it worked out well, although I think giving me too much credit as uh, <laughs> something I thoughtfully went after, but it did, it did work out well. Oh, I totally wasn't giving you any credit to say that you did it totally on purpose. Like, it's like your mind shifted being like, how can I use this? This didn't used to be a thinking of, of mine because I'd gone to therapy for many, many years. And something I rarely actually didn't think about until recently was how much it can take out of the therapist. Because you guys are dealing with a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, a lot of hearing things that are just heavy in general. What do you do to kind of offset that for yourself? What do you do in terms of taking care of you? your yourself and your mental health when you're dealing with that all that emotion and all that energy kind of being around you yeah it's a great question i'm trying to be a giant mirror so when people are telling me things i can reflect back what they're saying um, so they can hear it from a different perspective and also kind of be a little bit of a rudder here's the problem maybe we can go this way or maybe we can go about solving the problem in this way but it really I, again i don't know if it's just my innate sense maybe it sounds harsh that i am a little separate from the heavy things i'm hearing but i also think that that can kind of give me a better perspective than being objective and not being too involved, too emotionally involved in kind of what's going on. That's how I work in therapy in the moment. But afterwards, I don't take myself too seriously. I really try not to watch any kind of serious uh, television shows or programming, stuff like that. I, I try to balance out in that way. And, uh, you know, behind the scenes, therapists in general, when they're around talking to each other, are really goofy. We have a, a really kind of gallows sense of humor. And humor is a, a big way, too, to kind of balance the heavy, the heavy stuff that we see. I know a thing or two about humor. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is that you like to be a mirror to your patient. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the more I hear other people's stories and perspectives and share mine as well, I also, by, by listening to other people's stories, and this is actually something we talked about on when I was a guest on your podcast, check out Chris Mirandi's podcast, Old Cove Road, on iTunes or his website, oldcoveroad.com. Back to the show was the power of sharing our stories. It can help people and all that jazz. Do you feel like, is there anything you can pinpoint in your in your time as a therapist that you've learned about yourself from the people that you've helped? Oh yeah, see that's the dirty secret about therapy, right? Like, yeah, it's a two, I, you know what? I'm on to you guys. Yeah. You help us. 
But you guys learn stuff about yourselves too. I'm sure of it. Right. That's absolutely right. You know, I always, and I openly say this to clients too, like I am learning just as much from the people I work with as they are learning from me. It's a, it's kind of a two way street in that, in that sense, even though, you know, we're only talking about one story, right? I'm not telling my story to the people I work with, but I certainly am learning about things. So to go back a little to answer your question, I currently work in a hospital emergency room working with kids, teenagers who come in having some sort of psychiatric emergencies. So whether this is suicidal thoughts or they're in significant conflict with their parents, those kind of things. Seeing lots of people over and over again kind of brings about themes, right? And to what causes conflict and what causes mental health struggles and whatnot. And when you hear similar causes over and over again, I can take all of those and look at myself and be like, oh, <laughs> I do these things. And when I do these things, it makes me feel more anxious, more depressed, those kind of things. And so in another job I had, I worked with domestic violence offenders who were arrested and court ordered to take my class. That must have been fun. Yeah. But when you talk all day about power and control in verbal and psychological abuse kind of things, and then I find myself saying something to my wife or to my kid, and immediately after it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, ooh, you know, that was kind of abusive. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, to a lesser degree, I'm doing it, but it has made me a lot more sensitive to treating people with respect and specifically my significant other and my family, those kind of things. Um, and that came totally out of working with with folks who don't yeah to be able to take it in and see how it was in your life yeah um, and yeah. even if like the things you were saying or doing were not perceived as abusive to be able to be like oh wait a second is this coming off like this is this unhealthy or, or abusive and to step back that's that's important for any relationship, mm -hmm. but even for yourself, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. You, right now you're working with our teenager. Yeah. What is the biggest struggle you see them having if, if it's their first time in therapy and, or a yeah. therapist? What is the thing that is the hardest for them typically or the biggest barrier that you have to overcome with them? So I think it's the same actually for adults coming into therapy for the first time and kids. And really it is, it's something I call emotions 101. It is really surprising to me, although I was probably like this too before I did this work, it is surprising to me that people don't really understand feelings in general. Oh, yeah. You know, that everything that happens makes me pissed or upset or angry. It's not, I'm disappointed, I'm embarrassed, I feel betrayed. Like, all of those words kind of need to, there needs to be a vocabulary lesson first. <laughs> like, here, here are these feelings and here's what they mean. And so when you say that this person pissed me off, you don't actually mean that that person pissed you off. You mean that that person disappointed you. Some might say that this is semantics, but it's an important point because the way you respond to being pissed off and the way you respond to being disappointed are different. But if you're misunderstanding or misrepresenting kind of what the feeling is that this person has caused in you, then your response is off. And a lot of times it's the responses, whether that be anger, outbursts, or aggression, or running away and isolating yourself or any of those things. Um, a lot of those responses are built from kind of misunderstanding the emotions that you're feeling. We don't know feeling words and we don't understand how it works, but it's also not taught to us. Yep. I always talk about how how in school you have all these classes that like physical education and, and physical health or health class. But it, when I was in school at least, there was no mental health class. I always make the connection that with physical health or like they just called it health, basically you learned about how your body works. You learned how to 
eat healthy and have a healthy body and take care of your body before you actually learned about the conditions and the illness in it. Right. With mental health, we, number one, don't have those in education in schools. But when mental health comes up, we're actually automatically jumping to the illnesses and the condition versus taking care of our, our mental health, which is basically our emotional health. Right. And if it's our emotional health, we should be talking about feelings and we should have the vocabulary. Going back to my clinical supervisor when I was a baby therapist, I've told the story on my podcast, definitely worth telling here. So I was in a supervision session and in a supervision session when you're a baby therapist is, you know, you bring the cases that you're working with the clients and you talk about those cases and ideally your clinical supervisor gives you some wise insight about how to work with this person. So one day I was in the supervision session and I was complaining about a case. It wasn't the client's fault. It was me not knowing how to work with the client. So I was complaining and blah, blah, blah. And that my clinical supervisor said randomly said, Chris, do you brush your teeth every day? <laughs> and I said, yes, doc. Like, do I have coffee breath? What's going on? He's like, okay, you brush your teeth every day. Do you take a shower every day? And I said, yeah, I, most days, yes, I do. What's your point? And he looked at me and said, Chris, what do you do every day to take care of your mental health? And really to this day, I still can't think of a good answer, but to this day, I wish I had a sweet comeback for him. And so he, in his old wise wisdom said, so you care more about your teeth than you do your mental health. And I said, oh, I guess so. (laughs) You got me. Um, But, but I think that's how most people in general think about taking care of themselves. They maintain their hygiene, you know, are more likely to be eating right and taking care of their physical health than they do their mental health. If they're not in any sort of mental health emergency situation, whether that is, you know, having panic attacks or being depressed where you can't get out of bed. If they're not in that state, then they just kind of, eh, my mental health is fine. I don't need to worry about it. Especially if we teach that at an early age, you know, then it becomes a given. It becomes, not to throw a therapy word out there, but it becomes part of like a person's core belief that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to talk about these things and deal with these things and, and what have you. I mean, because as a kids, we are taught, take a shower every day, or I was taught, take a shower every day, <laughs> brush your teeth. But were we necessarily taught being like, hey, check your emotions. What are you feeling? Right. We weren't, that's not something, you know, hey, let's do a clean out of emotions of your day to day. That's not something we were taught as kids, but everything else that is more physically based that we can see on the outside, clearly see on the outside, I mean, is brought up to us at an early age. Thank you so much to Chris Morandi for joining the Sheck Check today. And please check out his podcast and the wonderful things he does at oldcoveroad.com, link in bio. And thank you for tuning in for this episode of The Shack Check. Your time and your ears are very much appreciated. If you want to help The Shack Check grow, you can actually now become a listener supporter through Anchor FM. Just head on over to anchorfm.com forward slash The Shack Check and check out the options. As usual, please keep taking care of yourself because taking care of the wonder that is you is taking care of the wonders outside of you. Peace.